Second Corinthians chapter five. There we are. Uh, we're going to be actually probably starting a little closer to verse fourteen than verse seventeen, um, but we're going to be focusing mostly on seventeen to twenty. Um, if you're if you're uh, following along at home, that that you know, I'll give you a second to hunt that down. Uh, this morning, um, I I got up and I I got dressed and ready, and Abigail was running around in the living room, and I I. Uh, Came into the living room and, and Abby's learning to throw things. You know, like children, they learn things in phases and they, and she's tickled by the idea that she can take something and hit you from far away with it. Um, and, and she had her little David and Goliath moment this morning when I came into the living room and she hit me with a grapefruit. Um, <laughs> and I, I said to her, I said, honey, I love you, but, um, could you wait until I start preaching before you start throwing fruit? And I walked in and there's a whole lot of vegetables out there, so. <laughs> There's there's the opportunity. Um, what? Tomatoes. Actually, I was scared of the pumpkins personally. I thought, wow, that's there's nothing good coming out of that. <laughs> um, we're we're going to be looking at at a handful of ideas here. Um, I'm going to have to fill in some backstory. Um, if you if you take the time to read Genesis, um, the big the big moment in Genesis after creation, the, the, the moment that sort of sets the world off in the wrong direction is, is the fall. And it happens in, in, um, you know, like chapter three, we get where, where uh, they have one rule. What was the one rule? Yeah. Don't eat off that tree, right? And so, um, they, they eat off the tree, which was a, which was a decision, all right. And it, According to the scriptures, that, that one decision sets the world off in the wrong direction. Whereas the world was without sin and without rebellion, and everything existed to glorify God, the moment sin entered the world, um, there was a distance that was created. Things went from being, you know, God was close to the creation. God would walk in the garden with Adam and Eve, like, like that's in Genesis. I mean, we know that happened, like, like that God was so close with the creation, he would spend time physically in the room with them. Then later we find where God can't be present with people because his glory is so much that it would destroy them. And, and the shift that happens is, God is holy. And God is, we, we talked about holiness a few weeks ago, remember this, like, Holiness is pure. It's set apart. Um, I compared it to marriage, right? We want our marriage to be holy. Like, I love my wife. I don't want other men checking her out. I don't want her dating other people. That's holiness. Like, I want, I want her set apart for me, period, right? And she sort of expects the same out of me. Um, and, and so, um, like, like God's holiness, you know, God's holiness in response to our rebellion, we can't be in his presence. And that separation is, is the running theme of the scriptures. Um, from the beginning all the way through, um, we see where, where, um, you know, God would be present and people couldn't approach him. Um, Moses wanted to see God's glory and God like hit him in a cliff and said, I'll pass by and you can look at me from behind. Um, um, Isaiah saw God physically present, um, in the temple and, and his first response isn't, oh wow, look, it's God. It's, oh my gosh, I'm ruined. I'm, I'm bad and I'm, I've seen God. I'm ruined. You know, and, and God cleanses him and, and he's able to be in God's presence. And, and it's the running theme of scripture that from the beginning when the fall happened, God yearns and God strives to bring man close to him again. And, and it's the big challenge that occurs. Um, and it affects all of creation. It affects all of us because we all have sin. We affect the world and the world has fallen and people are fallen. And it's, it's the mess that we all sit in. Everybody with me? Um, our, our passage here in 1 Corinthians, we're going to start, um, actually I'm going to start earlier um, so you can follow along. Um, 
For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. This is a tough bit of passage, by the way, because Paul is a really difficult writer. Um, And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore... From now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. I'm going to pause here for a second. Part of what's going on here is sin makes us spiritually dead. Everybody with me? Like, like I might be physically alive, but my soul is separated from God because of sin. And, and it makes me spiritually dead. I had, in college, I had a, a 1978 Buick. Larry's got the same car by his garage. And I have sort of a, a moment of, of um, whimsical memory every time I see it. I remember the same color and everything. You know, and, and I see that car, I think, wow, I had that car. And, and um, there was one time I had a problem with the battery cables where they were so corroded that, that I had to replace them because it wouldn't work. I took the battery out and I replaced the cables. And, and without the battery, will the car do anything? I mean, it sits there, right? It's lifeless. It's a little like us, right? In sin, apart from God, we're lifeless. Um, we might get up and walk around. We might be able to physically sit in one place and watch TV and eat you know, potato chips and whatnot. But, but spiritually, we're dead. We're separated from God. And my car was lifeless. As long as that battery was sitting in the parking lot of my dorm building and those cables were not there, like, there was no fixing it. It wasn't going to run. I wasn't going to drive anywhere. Nothing. Lifeless. Now, I remember the day I, I finished this up, and I'm, I'm sharing this story. I, I, I probably get teased about this. Um, I, I put the battery in, and and I was thinking, I'm like, positive and negative. And... and now, in, in science, now I had a reason. In science, negative, like a negatively charged anything, means there are electrons there, right? So, like, negative means that's where the power is coming from. And, and, and that's not how it works on cars. <laughs> on cars, positive means that's where the power comes from. And, and I, I put the cables on, and they instantly melted, in no way am I exaggerating. They, they melted and smoke shot up and sparks went in every direction. And I, I looked at it and I thought, oh, I'm doing something wrong. And I, you know, I, I, uh, I, I pulled the cables off and, and, um, and, and I, I backed up and I said, well, that didn't work. And so I, I had to go buy more cables and I, I bought more cables. I bought bigger cables because I couldn't figure out what the problem was. I bought bigger cables thinking if I have bigger cables, that'll fix it, right? Because there's too much power running through them. They were clearly the wrong cables. I put larger cables on and put the cables on, and what happened? <laughs> Roughly the same thing, <laughs> only now there was more electricity flowing through the car in the wrong direction. <laughs> and so it was a much quicker meltdown, and it was bigger sparks and much more smoke, and, and, and that was not good. Um, so I, I took it off, and I looked, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I need bigger cables. <laughs> um, and, and so I went to the store, and I talked to the guy in the shop. I said, the cables you sold me were too small both times. He said, you know, this is, you, you guys are messing me up. <laughs> I need the biggest cables you can sell me. And they were, they were like garden hose. I mean, they were huge, huge cables. And I put them on again and I brought a buddy over. And I, I, I said, you know, I don't know what the problem is. And I, I, I said, you know, you watch and we'll see what happens. And he's watching. I put the cables on and he's like, oh my gosh, what did you just do? 
you, you know positive means that's where the electricity's going from. Negative is the ground. Like, you, you put them on backward. But, great. And, and amazingly enough, you can't do that without damaging some significant things in the car. I, I, I went from spending 30 minutes replacing a set of cables to about a week and a half tracking down melted electronics and <laughs> replacing the starter and replacing the alternator and replacing this and replacing that. And, and it was, it was a nightmare, right? Um, my car was not alive, right? And, and when I went to hook up the power, I did it on my terms. How'd that work? Not so good, right? You can't try to connect things up on your terms. It doesn't work. I, I may like the idea of using the toaster in the bathtub on my terms, but it's not going to end well, right? It's just not how we're designed. And one of the recurring themes in Scripture that we see is people try to approach God on their own terms. They say, God, this is what I want. This is how I'm going to do it. Um, and they, they come to God over and over again. And one of the ways we like to, um, there are a couple ways we like to approach God. One of them is, I'm going to do whatever I want and you're going to like it, right? And, and we know folks like this, right? Some of us are folks like this sometimes. Um, I'm going to live my life the way I want, and as long as I'm not as bad as Hitler, I get to go to heaven in the end. And, and the scriptures don't really give us that, right? Like, like that's not really what we get. Um, um, the other way that folks like to approach God is they like to say, I, I see these rules, and I'm going to follow these rules. And as long as I'm following these rules good enough, God will be cool with me. And when that doesn't work, how many of you guys have tried to really follow the rules tight and had it not work out so well? Is it just me? <laughs> um, sometimes what we say is, well, you know what? I tried to follow the rules and it melted down on me. You know what I need? Better rules. Obviously. And so we put on bigger cables. And when we try to approach God on our own terms, what happens? It all catches fire and it doesn't work. Why? Because I can't follow the rules. You can't follow the rules. None of us can follow the rules. We're sinful. And God's holiness won't allow us to just wander into his presence on our own terms. It's not how it works. Um, what Paul starts out here with, he says, listen, the love of Christ controls us, for one died, therefore all died. My old sinful life, right? When I come into Christ, that life ends, right? And I become alive in Christ. And Jesus' love controls me. Um, why do I obey God's laws? Not because it's going to get me to heaven. I obey God's laws because God wants me to do it. And so I do it because he loves me, right? The moment I shift that gear, I get in trouble. Um, why do I, why do I worship? Not because I'm checking off that box, because if I'm checking off that box, I'm going to get there and God's going to say, wow, you know, you didn't check off enough of these. It's not possible, you know? Like, it's a not possible way to approach God. And you can come up with the biggest cables ever. You could be Mother Teresa and, and Gandhi roll into one and, and maybe even walk on water occasionally. But if it's, if it's approaching God on your terms, it's not a plausible thing. Cannot do it. Work, our efforts, our terms are not how we approach God ultimately. Um, what we get from Paul here, um, starting in verse 17... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new things have come. Um, 18 is, now all things are from God, who reconciles us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. This is a really tough bit of passage, right? 
not counting their trespasses against them, and he was committed to us the word of reconciliation. Okay, so reconciling. Anybody ever have a fight with their spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, parents, anyone? And you gotta come back and you gotta reconcile? Um, my reconciliation moment with the, with the Buick was putting the cables on right. <laughs> right? Like repairing and putting it back together. Um, there's effort that goes into reconciliation. The once in a, every ten years I argue with my wife, um, and I've gotta fix it, um, cause it's almost always me that's wrong. I have to come and I gotta say I'm sorry, I gotta do a bunch of things to reconcile. There's distance between us, and I reconcile by closing that distance. Right? We reconcile to God by closing that distance. But, um, can I go back and undo my sins? Not really, right? I, if I threw a rock at, at, um, at uh, Jim over there, is there anything, once that rock leaves my hand, is there any calling it back? That's kind of the nature of sin, right? <laughs> like the moment you do it, it's done. And because of that, we can't fix on our own. Um, there are four principles present in this 17, 18, 19 um, passage, and we're going to go through them in bits. Um, first off, in our reconciliation, if we're going to be made right with God, like if you're sitting there and you're in this spot where you're not right with God or work has been the effort to get you there, right? Um, this passage begins with this idea that God is the single mover in this process, right? God does the work. I can't do the work. I cannot be good enough to make myself not sinful, right? There's no call on the rock back once I threw it. There's no not sinning once I've sinned. Um, and it's in the passage. It says... Uh, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to it himself. So we have God, through Christ, is fixing the world and bringing it back into relationship with himself. Like, it's not instant. It's not the world comes to him and then God says, okay. It's not be good and God will... It's God reconciles the world to himself. So God is the only one working here. Everybody with me? Um, any illusion that I can work to fix it? Wrong. Um, Number two, God is altering the relationship toward himself. Um, whereas I might fix my relationship with my wife, if we're arguing, right? I fix the relationship between the battery and my car. Um, only God can fix the relationship between us. Why? Because um, God's justice demands punishment. Like if I sin, like if I were to go out in the parking lot and beat up Jimmy, I would, I would have to face God for that. That would be a sin, as much as we all might enjoy it. No, I'm kidding, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> um, I have to fix that relationship, right? Like, I, I have to fix it. Um, um, that's a sin that I've committed. It's got to be fixed. And before God, I can't undo like that short of taking punishment, right? If God says, okay, you beat up Jimmy, and your punishment is this. Um, the way God fixes it is Jesus comes and he takes punishment for us, right? So when Jesus dies on the cross, what he's doing is he's taking our punishment for us. And um, I know this is review for a lot of folks, but it's important, and we'll get there in a minute, okay? Um, reconciliation is all about God doing it himself. If I'm wrong before God, God comes to me. God, in Christ, takes my punishment, and I'm made whole again. Um, Action, like um, God's agent acts to create um, um, this reconciliation, right? It's Jesus who actually does it, right? It's not me following the rules well enough, getting big enough cables. It's Jesus who actually does the work. Um, so check this out. 
God's the only one doing anything, right? Um, God is altering the relationship between us, and it's Jesus who's doing it, right? Like the whole salvation thing, God's effort. I'm called on um, to play a part in this, and we'll get to it in a second. But um, So um, God's program of reconciliation um, is carried forward entirely by his chosen ambassador. In the passage, we see this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So Paul is writing, and Paul says, hey, I'm God's ambassador, and I'm talking to you, and I'm saying be reconciled with him, right? I really read this, and I really wanted it to be that we were all ambassadors. It's not what it says. Paul is saying Christ is, is, is chosen apostles, right? So that's Matthew... That's Mark. That, well, it's what the, the 12 disciples and Paul, except for Judas. Um, and, and these guys are apostles. They're people who knew Jesus directly. They're people who were chosen for the specific mission of sharing God's word with the world. And then we all stand in a position afterward. Um, but the whole process of saving the world, so the folks around you, the neighbor you know that doesn't know Jesus from a hole in the ground, the neighbor you know who's, who's drinking himself silly like three nights a week, and and you think, man, I really wish that guy had cut it out. Like, that's his sin nature playing out, right? Like, there but by the grace of God go I. Like, I could be that guy. You could be that guy. Um, apart from Jesus, we would all be that guy because our sin would take us to places we never want to go. And initially, God begins spreading it out through the apostles. And eventually, he spreads it out through us. Um, how does one become reconciled with God? Real simple, right? Um, First, we have to recognize that we're alienated. Um, the problem I had with my car the first four times that I put battery cables on was I didn't recognize the nature of the problem. <laughs> I thought the problem was something it wasn't. In reality, the problem was that I'm kind of an idiot um, and that I was putting the cables on backwards and that it was setting things on fire, right? Like that was the problem. Um, if I don't realize that I'm sinful... Um, I can't reconcile with God because it begins by understanding that, that I'm sinful and i got to fix stuff, right? If we don't recognize our sin, we can't be reconciled to God, period. It's not possible because it requires repentance. Um, we need to reorder our way of life so as to like center ourselves on God. What does it mean? Well, repentance, literally, the Hebrew word that's used for repentance means to turn around and go the other way, right? So if my life that's ordered around me and what I want is what's killing me, if putting the misordered battery cables on is what's setting things on fire, I have to reorder before I'm going to get things right. Everybody with me? Um, reordering our lives so that God becomes the center. Why? Because if I'm alive in Christ, that means that something's got to change. It means that my relationship with God has to be the center of this. It's a little like getting married, except it's about coming to life, not dying. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Um, it's a little like getting married. The day I got married, certain things had to reorder, right? I didn't get to make certain decisions based on my own interests anymore. My wife became the center of some of my decisions, right? I have to show, show up at home every night. It's sort of expected, or at least have a really good explanation. I have to go out and work sometimes. Um, I have to, um, you know, not date other people. Um, I have to reorder my life in a way that it is, um, 
conducive to that marriage relationship. And the same thing happens in Christ. If I'm in Christ, it begins with realizing I'm in trouble, repenting, and then I have to head in a different direction. i got to live different. Not because it's bigger battery cables, not because it's better rule following, but because God expects that out of me. Um, we need to learn to see things from God's perspective, which is a part of how this works. I've talked three times now in a row, and I'm probably going to sound like a broken record, about looking at the world through Jesus-colored glasses, right? We look at the world through the lens of Christ's life. So when I look at my marriage, I understand my marriage through Jesus' death for me and through my new life. I look at my relationship with my kids. I understand my relationship with my kids through my relationship with Christ. I understand my job through my relationship with Christ. I understand my neighbors through my relationship with Christ. And that's an effort. It's not instant. Why? Because, you know what, I look at the neighbor that ticks me off, and none of my neighbors tick me off here, but the neighbors that we had before we lived in the per- perfect community of Big Sandy, you know, I look at that neighbor, <laughs> I look at that neighbor who, who would get drunk and yell at his girlfriend in the middle of the night while the baby was sleeping, you know, that guy, and, and in, in a very real way, I've got to start looking at that guy the way Jesus sees him. Why? Because otherwise I'm going to be ticked off at him because he keeps waking the baby up. You know what I mean? Um, it's easier to be mad when it's my flesh, when it's my perspective that dictates how I see the world. Seeing things through Jesus' eyes changes how we see our neighbors. All of this is what discipleship is. Um, I'm going to point it out as it relates to cars, because I like cars. They're an easy example for for men to understand. Um, I had to replace the alternator, right? I had to replace my starter. And I had to replace a bunch of other electric stuff I screwed up. Um, and I had to replace the battery cables again. Um, if <laughs> That was an effort, right? It was a one thing after another, and I had to test. Discipleship is going from being the sinful person that I am, right? This person who, who likes to um, sleep in on Sundays, who likes to think about me before I think about anything else, who likes to tell gossip occasionally, who likes to um, check out the pretty women who aren't my wife, who likes to do the things that are bad, like these sinful things, that that part of me doesn't instantly go away. I follow Christ, and I change over time. Parts of my life are slowly traded out and slowly die away, and they're replaced with Jesus. Um, now, we're going to look again at 20 here. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Again, I'm going to say this. This is specifically the apostles. Um, and they, being ambassadors, had a special role. Ideally, in the ancient world, like ambassadors were treated really well. They were taken very seriously. Um, if you if you killed an ambassador um, from a neighboring country, number one, it was considered the most like hugely offensive, and and number two, they would probably fight a war with you and kill you over it. Like it was a big deal. They, you just didn't do it. No one killed ambassadors. You wouldn't jail them. You wouldn't torture them. You wouldn't do those things. You took them very seriously. And in fact, even sending an ambassador um, was a sign of friendship. So like if I sent my ambassador to your country, it was a sign that we were on good terms because I sent one to you. If you mistreated my ambassador, it was a problem, right? It was a big problem. Um, and to take it a step further, the ambassador had the authority to speak for me entirely. Um, so that ambassador would go and he could speak for his country, for his king as a rule. Um, if I don't have that authority, I, I can talk about what the scriptures say, but my word ain't scripture. Everybody with me? 
I mean, I like to think it sometimes, but it ain't true. You know, sometimes I'm going to say things that are incorrect. We can debate the merits of what I say based on the scriptures. Um, Because I'm not like a direct spokesman for God, like an ambassador. Whereas Paul, Paul wrote something, it was, it was scripture, right? Paul said something, it was, it was gospel. Um, ambassadors had that role. What does that mean for us? Well, we have a part in that. Um, has anybody ever been to the Alamo? Really? Wow. One of the reasons, I always joke that one of the reasons I married Jessica was because she had two family members, way, way back, not like immediate family members, um, but she had, two, she had two family members who died at the Alamo. It's a weirder story if it was recently. Um, <laughs> um, she had two ancestors that died at the Alamo, right? And I always would joke, well, you know, I want a one. I'm <laughs> I would always joke that, that I wanted Abigail, I wanted our kids to have that in their lineage, right? So they can say, well, we had family that died at the Alamo. Um, if, if you go to the Alamo, there's a portrait hanging up. I got the guy's name written down. I got to look it up. Um, there's no, um, we don't know the guy, like what he looked like. We don't have an actual picture of him. The guy's name was James Butler Bonham, right? There's no painting, no picture, no nothing, because painting pictures of folks was kind of expensive. Guy dies at the Alamo, and his family is aware of it, and they're proud of him. Why are they proud of him? Well, he died at the Alamo, right? That's bragging rights. And so what they did was they found a portrait of his nephew. And he was a dead ringer for his nephew. Looked just alike. And they hung it up with a sign that says, hey, we don't have a picture of him, but we're so proud of him, we want you to know what he looks like. Our job, right? Our job is to be the portrait of Jesus. Our job is to go out into the community and share this reconciliation. First, through how we live. Because if folks look at me and they see reconciliation as me being mean-spirited and petty and kind of jerky and expecting other folks to follow the rules that I expect them to follow, are they going to want that? No. Um, I'm supposed to represent Christ. I'm supposed to represent love, redemption, grace. These are things that are supposed to come with me as a representative of Christ. I'm his portrait in this world. Not perfect, but I'm getting there. As God trades out my alternator and starter and um, probably I need new tires. Um, and, and everything else that, that's wrong with me because of sin, I become this painting of Jesus that people see. Um, and that's the beginning of it. But the second end of that is, I'm the one who's there to talk to them. Um, how many of y'all have neighbors that don't go and worship Jesus anywhere? How many of you got neighbors that don't worship Jesus anywhere or are one day going to have to stand before God? And you'll be standing there too. Um, my neighbor is sometimes, like, it's the case. Sometimes our neighbors, the only gospel they're ever going to read is us. It's our job. It's our calling. It's what we're here for. Um, it's so important that it was the end of Jesus' ministry he announced. He says, listen, go out into all the world preaching the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and making disciples, right? This is our job. This is what we're called to do. And how does this play out? Well, this plays out in our everyday lives. You go home, you get up, you go to work. The way you live represents Christ. But there are other things. Um, we're called to bring people here, right? We're called to bring people to Jesus. And part of how we do that is here. I wanted to take a moment to talk about what we're doing. Um, I, I know I'm new, and, and so... Um, I might do things a little different. I wanted to share with you, like like the elders, we've talked about this. This is the direction we're going in as a church. 
um, we're going to find ways to invite people in the door, right? Things that are easy for people to go to. Because if you say, Eric's going to talk for an hour and a half, folks may not show up. Probably. Um, <laughs> it's just reality, right? People won't just show up to hear me preach. Why? Because they don't know Jesus. They don't know why it's important. Um, and my good looks ain't going to do it. Um, so we'll, we, we're looking at ways that we can bring people in the door. Um, things like a brisket cook-off. Things like a Halloween party. Things like maybe doing a Christmas um, like event or, or doing an Easter event. Um, or doing things that are easy for folks to show up to. Um, why? Because if they show up here, they can, number one, be here. And that's an easy thing to show up to, right? If you're going to feed me brisket, as long as it's my brisket and not Brooks, it's going to be a pleasant experience. And <laughs> folks can come here. Yeah, I did that. Um, <laughs> folks are going to come here and they're going to meet Jesus, but they're not going to know they're meeting Jesus immediately because they're going to be meeting you people. And you're the portrait of Jesus in this place. And it's an easy thing. And then it's one step closer to showing up and learning about him and becoming disciples. Um, that's a huge chunk of what we're looking at doing. Um, and we're going to largely do it through families because um, there are folks in this church who've done a really amazing job of giving us a reputation. If you go out um, into the town and you talk to folks, people say this is a church that's all about children and families, right? That's our reputation. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to do things for children and families, and we're going to use it as a way of bringing people to Jesus. And we all need to be a part of it, because I can't do it by myself, except for the brisket cooking. Um, <laughs> it's all of us. It's the body of Christ working together, I'm bringing people to a point where they can plug into the battery that is Christ Jesus and bring power and life back into them. Um, this is our calling. This is how we're going to do it. And I'd like for you all to be a part of it with us. Um, we're going to close in prayer. I think we have one more song. Um, Heavenly Father, um, I pray that you would touch our hearts today. Help us to go out and be representatives of you in our community. Help us to be um, just your hands and your feet and your heart in the lives of those that we encounter. Um, help us to touch people in a way that just, just magnifies your name. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Um, as I, as